Well, hello and welcome to the, I guess, first, but not really the first, Kasa podcast. I am your host, Logan, joined by the CEO himself, Alex Clark. How's it going today, Alex? It's going. How are you doing? I'm doing good today, man. The sun is shining here in New York, up where you are in New York. Do you have sunshine as well? Um, behind behind layers of clouds, but you know, yeah. it's, it's February. Ours all rolled through. We got 16 inches of snow yesterday. Nice. It was well done. Absolutely terrible here, but uh, I'm glad the sun is out for you as well. Alex, this is the first, like, like uh, I don't know, updated, rehashed, redone, reinvigorated Kasa podcast. How are you feeling about this? Yeah, I'm excited. I, I think, you know, we we did this several years ago um, and, you know, people's schedules didn't align so we couldn't keep it going. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the last one we did was 2017 and that was the, the Casa podcast update. Um, sure, somebody out there can find a better name for it, but um, that's essentially what it was. And uh, it, it's, I'm, it's, we're, this is one of the reasons why we're excited to have you on board is because you're bringing all your skill and talent from podcasting. And so we're absolutely going to take advantage of that and put you to work. Uh, and, and, and thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, you and me did a few episodes, kind of some some finalizing episodes on on my my last podcast, the Rise and Vape podcast, if anybody out there recognizes my voice, that's where I'm from. Um, but but yeah, I kind of threw this at Kassan was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in maybe helping you guys reinvigorate this old podcast of yours. And, um, and I'm just really excited to do it. I'm really excited to, to contribute here and, and bring Kasa to another media or back to this media, because I know there's a lot of people out there just like me that are audiophiles and absorb information on their way to work through podcasts or while they're working. I mean, during the summer, I'm a landscaper and I don't go a day without my headphones in at some point, either listening to a podcast or music or whatnot. So I know a lot of people, uh, I know a lot of people like to get their information this way. So hopefully we can disseminate that effectively right here. And yeah. there's a lot of it today. We have a lot of calls to action to kind of get through first. Um, maybe not so many. Uh, we've got more points of information, I think. Uh, there's a few calls to action in here, and I'll, I'll note those. But um, if we're ready, I'll go ahead and start working through the yeah, list. Yeah, let's, let's get into the nitty-gritty here, man. What do people need to know? Where are we at? So um, the probably uh, the more interesting thing uh, that folks have, have heard about is what's going on in Maryland. Um, Maryland has a couple of bills. Um, that uh, they've got a flavor ban and some really ridiculous regulations. We have a call to action up on our website and we covered this um, last week, but uh, the, the, the interesting thing is how Maryland is adapting to the COVID-19 uh, and limiting participation in public hearings. Uh, right now, uh, if anybody wants to submit testimony, again, please check out our website. Um, all of the details are there just you know, click on the get involved and your state and local, uh, the sub menu item. Uh, and that'll take you to a map, a clickable map of, map of the United States. Click on Maryland and scroll down and you'll see uh, all the calls to action. It's a lot easier than listening to me describe that to you. But um, 
Uh, it, so, I, I go there all the time to, to see what's going on. I'll hear about something in the state and it's just, you just click on, you just click on the state. That's all you got to yep. do on Casa. You just click on the little state. So uh, the way that, that this committee has and other committees in, in Maryland have, have adapted to coronavirus is by limiting the amount of time in which people have to request to speak at a hearing or, and or submit test, written testimony. Uh, and so if you want to submit your testimony for this bill in Maryland, you have to do it between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. on Monday, uh, Monday the 8th, which is a full two days before the actual hearing. Uh, and, and the hearing is on the 10th and, and check out our website for details and an easy you know, way to take action uh, and all of that stuff. Um, this is a flavor ban uh, and some other nasty stuff. Uh, and I believe that is SB 130 or HB 134. You know what? Before I start tripping over my mouth, I should probably visit our website. <laughs> I'm on it right now. Out. It is HB 134. Um, Fantastic. A HB... couple of quick points. It's between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern. Mm -hmm. um, for anybody who maybe has family somewhere else and they're contacting someone, that way, you know, they know that it's that's. 10 to 3 Eastern, you can submit that. Um, and only there's only what, what is this? There's, there's a limited number of people that are mm -hmm. allowed to speak during this too. That's the other thing They're They're not only limiting your time for a submission, which is obviously on a today uh, because this, this podcast will air uh, early in the morning, Monday morning. So for people listening, that's today from the time machine. We're speaking from the time <laughs> machine right now. Um, today is when that hearing is. But then, then there's this limitation on people that can actually that can actually speak. Yeah, I, I think some of this is to be expected. Um, you know, the technological capabilities of whatever legislature, or state house. Um, you know, I, I think there's going to be some there's some wrinkles to be ironed out here. But this. Uh, the committee is limiting testimony to 50 people total. And uh, I guess it's either at the discretion of the committee or discretion of the bill sponsor. They can kind of set the balance there. Uh, you could divide it 25-25 if you wanted to. But in this case, uh, 30 people will be testifying in support of the bill and only 20 people will be allowed to testify in opposition. So you're walking into this with if you will, the, the deck stacked against you. Um, but yeah, so that's, and that's a new thing. And all of this very tightly limiting the hours in which someone can submit testimony. Um, this is new and it's bizarre because part of having remote testimony or any of this remote capability means, should mean more access, not obviously not in person, but more access to uploading things or downloading things, or reading and writing about things. Um, and, and that's just not how Maryland has set this up. So uh, interesting to see how, how this is, is, is going to play out in Maryland, certainly, but uh, around the country, um, you know, looking and seeing how the coronavirus is affecting your access to the process. Um, so that's where Maryland yeah, is. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It's, you know, we're in this era right now where we're doing everything remotely, Zoom calls. Everyone has Zoom or some sort of video chat service at this point. 
you know, as long as, I mean, not everyone, not everyone has a computer or access right. to the internet, but if you do, chances are through this pandemic, you've got Zoom or you've got Skype or Google chat or whatever it is. We have access. We should have more access now, as opposed to the days of here's your hearing. It's at one o'clock on a Tuesday while everyone's at work, you know, uh, you know, and a lot of people are working from home, you would think that we would have more access, but instead of giving the people more access, they're, they're narrowing that access. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what's happening in Maryland. Again, check out our call to action. There's details in there. Uh, you can actually find a way I'm sure to view or hear the hearing as it goes on uh, and certainly participate. Um, the next thing I've got on my list here is at the municipal level, uh, which is also at the state level, uh, Connecticut. Um, we had a had an alert up for Bridgeport, Connecticut is looking at a flavor ban. That meeting was originally scheduled for February 1st, but if you've been watching the news, we all got a bunch of snow up here and that canceled uh, the hearing on the 1st and it has been rescheduled for February 16th, uh, which I believe is going to be next, not, well, not this Monday, but next Monday, not today, but next Monday. Um, and this is really just introduction and referral to committee. So this isn't a public hearing or anything like that, but as I am prone to say, it is always a good time to get in touch with your elected officials. Um, so uh, we have- You said that was the that. 16th? Uh, yeah, February the 16th. Okay, that's actually next, not this coming Tuesday, but next Tuesday, not Monday, would be the 16th for everybody out there. Well, I can't read a calendar, so. That's okay, I got your back, brother. <laughs> Tuesday, I, my, I checked my calendar behind me and then I looked at my phone calendar just to make sure my calendar sure. wasn't wrong. <laughs> I, for, for, for simplicity's sake, I have my calendar set to always start on Monday, um, but for some reason that always, I get messed up, so. <laughs> your simplicity actually complicated it. Because I never know what the default's going to be on some other platforms, calendar, whatever. So, right, yeah, yeah. So, so the sixteenth Tuesday, I just, will be that I just, hearing, you know, Monday uh, is the beginning. Board. Monday is the beginning of my week. I don't like splitting up Saturday and Sunday. It just yeah, mentally, the same way, it makes me feel more relaxed to see Saturday and Sunday next to each other on a row. Yeah, so. I, I feel the same way. And why do we call Sunday the weekend if it's the beginning of the week on a calendar? Yeah. So yeah, you know, just, why do we drive on parkways and park on driveways, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> but that's Tuesday the 16th, Bridgeport. Uh, what was the time for that? This has been updated on our website. There is an opportunity to take action here. If you live in Bridgeport, Connecticut, please take advantage of the pre-written message and edit it yourself and send it to your city officials. Um, so Monday, February 16th, 6.30 p.m. PM. Uh, this is teleconferenced, uh, and there's a uh, dial-in number here, and the meeting ID has not been updated yet, but we got a week to see uh, what kind of information they'll put out. So, and the other thing about Bridgeport, why I said this was also, this is a municipal and state level thing. Um, uh, the way of Bridgeport, so goes the way of Connecticut, I don't know how to say that, but um, uh, Bridgeport policies uh, tend to have an influence on what gets passed at the state level. And uh, there is a state level uh, flavor ban bill, which is um, uh, SB 326. 
this bans everything except for tobacco flavor. Uh, and there is, I believe there's a hearing for this tomorrow. The only reason that there's not a call to action up for this on the CASA site is uh, working in collaboration with uh, the folks in Connecticut or coordinating with them. Uh, we're just taking a little bit of a, a backseat right now, allowing you know some of their face-to-face -face work to have an effect, see what happens. Uh, and then we may need to unleash the voices of consumers onto this issue. Um, even though there is not a call to action on our site, by all means, any time is an appropriate time for people to reach out to your lawmakers. Um, it should be, it's not the most simple thing to do uh, to find your lawmakers contact information, but it is available. Uh, and uh, certainly social media platforms have gotten in on the game to appear responsible. Uh, and, and through Facebook, you can find your officials and should be able to find all of their contact information or just, you know, look it up. Who is my official? Uh, there's, there's national, there's websites that deal with every city and state throughout the, the country. And, and it should be as simple as putting in your, your address and you can find who represents you and how to get in touch with them. So, um, that having been said, um, there are three flavor ban bills in Connecticut right now. Uh, and uh, SB 326 is the one that's getting the action. Uh, and so we're following that and coordinating with folks on the ground. So um, yeah, be on the lookout for something to happen there. And so that's, you said that uh, was Monday, the 8th? Yes. Okay, that so would be people listening, uh, that'll be today. Monday, today, the eighth. Today, uh, from the time machine, we live in a time machine on these podcasts. Um, but yeah, so this might be a situation where we hold back. Yeah, um, you know when when the timing is right, uh, and this is why it's it's good to keep in touch with the folks on the ground. Um, they have a good idea when lawmakers are going to be paying attention to this more. Uh, you know, perhaps in, in the run up to a vote or another hearing or, or whatever, um, the, the timing is good because we only really get one shot of this, right? Like right. when we send out a message and ask people to get engaged, we get a huge surge of participation, but then every message after that is just down, 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 down. So um, it, it's really important for us to get the timing right on this. And so if, if anybody's out there being like, well, why aren't you guys doing anything? They're like, well, we're, we're waiting for the right, the right time. Um, and as always, we provide uh, you know, some basic information on our website about how to get in touch with your officials. Um, and, and of course, it is uh, all of the tools are out there for you to find um, contact information. And you can certainly use our site as a reference. Uh, other states where are that are seeing the same issues, even if you wanted to, you could essentially duplicate all of the stuff that's on the Bridgeport, Connecticut call to action and, and, and use that in order to build your message and send that to your lawmakers. So uh, we're not trying to, you know, withhold anything or, or be weird about it. It's just we're waiting for the right time. Right, right. There's a there's a methodology to this. Yeah, and which we don't pick out of a hat. We wait for contact from, from folks who know what's going on. So, uh, which is actually a pretty good segue into what's going on in Missouri. Um, good old Missouri. Uh, Missouri or Missouri. Um, SB 124. Uh, this is a, uh, a tax on vapor products. Essentially what this does is um, it, it folds vapor into other tobacco products for the purposes of taxation. Uh, and they, uh, from what I understand, 
the OTP tax or other tobacco products tax, which includes like little cigars, snuff, uh, smokeless, all, all the other, everything except for cigarettes. Um, and cigars are their own classification, uh, I believe. Um, but it is a 10% manufacturer's invoice. It's, it's a 10% tax on the manufacturer's invoice. So it's kind of like a wholesale tax, but there's this added specification that it is before any discounts or deals. Uh, and this is another one of those, um, I, I think, I think it has very specific wording in there saying this tax is intended to be paid by the consumer. So, you know, we had when when taxes really started firing up on vapor products, we saw a lot of uh, businesses, you know, whether it's the wholesaler to the retailer or the retailer to their customers saying, we have some flexibility here, we can adjust our prices down a bit to absorb the tax. Well, states are already hip to that. Uh, they went through this with cigarette companies. So uh, in a lot of places, you will see specific language saying this is meant to be passed on one to one to the consumer. So don't try to, you know, work around it with some sort of deal. Um, so this your the, the tax is imposed on the invoice price but before any discounts or or deals, um, which, you know, whatever that. That, that ends up translating to. Um, but the point being that it is a 10% extra tax on vapor products. Um, and and we, don't, we don't agree with uh, these life-saving products being taxed extra. And to be perfectly fair, uh, I think if we had the, the money and the lobbying power, we'd be going around the country saying that taxes on some of these other tobacco products uh, should also be reduced. Um, that there is no reason that uh, safer tobacco and nicotine products uh, should have tobacco style taxes or taxes on them that are in, that are intended to discourage people from using them. Um, you know, we don't tax, um, you know, we don't put extra taxes on, you know, Advil or Tylenol or, you know, there are risks that come with using, you know, acetaminophen or, or aspirin or whatever. Uh, but, you know, it's sales tax only in some places or no sales tax at all, whatever. Um, these are products that are helping people. That's the point. And they shouldn't have to pay extra to access it. So um, that's what's going on in Missouri. And also in, included in this uh, is a place ban. Um, the, what, that, that is an indoor vaping ban. Um, but more broadly, it, it uh, would ban vaping in the same places where smoking is prohibited. Uh, and it's Missouri, so I, I assume that there are a lot of exemptions in there. Um, but still, uh, our position is, has always been, private businesses should be free to set their own vaping policies. Uh, certainly, we all know, anybody who's used these products knows that you can use vapor products in a discreet way, uh, so as not to bother the people around you or put huge plumes of vapor into the air. Um, right, don't and, be that guy. Yeah, yeah, don't. <laughs> Don't don't vape out the the smoke detector. Um, yeah. So uh, you know it, that's that's something. And and considering that you're not actually putting people around you at at any measurable increased risk, um, uh, th this is not something that that the government should be uh, implementing a, a sweeping 
place ban on. Certainly businesses can make those decisions and businesses do make those decisions for themselves. Um, so uh, that is the added thing. I, I, I include that in there because people seem to be a bit lukewarm on place bans. Um, you know, when I smoked, uh, as time went on, it, I, I understood why smoking is banned in indoors. Um, why smoking was being banned in bars has always been a little weird to me. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not doing yoga at the bar. Right. So <laughs> why can't I just be an adult and do you're those? Already, you're already at the bar for adult activities. You know, yeah. you're, you're not going to the bar just to, to get yourself a Pepsi, or at least I'm sure most people are. I'm sure there are people that go to the bar just for a Pepsi, but you know, you're already there to engage in adult activities. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm challenging. I'm, I'm already challenging my liver and kidneys. So, you know, I, if I want to challenge my lungs, I, I think that's, you know, that's my choice. Um, I, you know, when I lived in Pennsylvania and I watched the, the indoor smoking ban, uh, kind of roll out. Um, you know, at first it was, if you were a, a restaurant, uh, if you had a restaurant component to your bar, you couldn't allow smoking until after the kitchen was closed. Um, I understand that people are going to a restaurant. They want to eat food. They want to enjoy how it tastes and not, you know, your Marlboro. Um, I get it. That's, that's cool. But at least they were still allowed to have, you know, allow people to smoke in the bar after 10 o'clock. And if customers don't like that, then they can choose another bar. Um, I think eventually that got strengthened all the way to uh, after, after I stopped going to bars <laughs> um, to just a complete indoor smoking ban. So um, it is what it is, but uh, I, I don't think there's any reason for people who vape to, to roll over on this. You're not gaining it. We're not gaining anything by you know offering a concession to an indoor vaping ban. Um, it doesn't make us look responsible. It doesn't make us... It, it just really, it, it flies in the face of the evidence. Um, and I, I know that folks have, have reported or, or think that there are reports of folks being harmed by secondhand vapor. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to dismiss the concerns of people who have asthma or other breathing disorders where they may be triggered by visual cues. Uh, all of that stuff is real, absolutely. Um, but I, I, again, we are all going to encounter all of these things out on the sidewalk. Uh, and in private businesses, whether we, you know, like it or not. Uh, and I, you know, I appreciate that those people are in a, in a compromised position. Um, but the science yeah. behind this doesn't really support uh, that, that kind of, of harm or injury or, or, you know, the belief that it, it leads to those things. I would prefer that people who are sort of visually triggered by that, have a greater understanding of these products. And, and, and hopefully that can go some way to, um, you know, tempering their, their, their body or their mind's reaction to seeing something like this. Right now, I think, you know, they've been put at an even greater disadvantage because they're being bombarded by all of this misinformation about what's in a plume of vapor. Uh, and so, you know, there's, I, we can get into the uh, somebody else smarter than me can get into the discussion about, you know, the, the, the technicalities of uh, the harm that's being done to to folks experiencing these conditions or, you know, living with with asthma or COPD um, and, uh, you know, how the misinformation affects them in a negative way. 
Um, certainly, if there are any researchers out there, uh, maybe you could take this one Dr. up. Dr. Ricardo Peloza would be a great place to start for uh, any information regarding asthma and COPD. Not mm-hmm. too long ago on, on my old podcast, uh, I did two spotlight episodes on asthma and COPD, um, kind of looking at smoking and then people switching to vaping, um, what they uh, said, huge surveys of, of people who had switched. Um, so, you know, anecdotal evidence and then actual research um, Dr. Ricardo Peloza did uh, not only a 12 month, but a 24 month, and I believe all the way up to five years um, following patients with COPD uh, who had switched completely. Um, fantastic results. For anybody out there, you can go check out the old Rise and Vape podcast um, and, and listen to those episodes because they're some of my favorite episodes that I did um, and did quite a bit of research on, but I agree with you. I mean, the evidence isn't there. Like we, we should have evidence-based policies around stuff like this, you know? Uh, and then obviously we should be educating better um, and then leaving it up to, to private businesses to decide. I got a question for you because this is kind of the way that I've always felt about at least indoor smoking bans, right? Um, with private businesses. I'm somebody personally in favor of businesses having the right to choose how they you know, do their business. Um, and at this point in time, I mean, we have, we're 15% or so less than 15% of the adult population in America smokes somewhere around there. I think it's something like a 36 million, uh, Americans smoke something like this, but regardless of that number, don't quote me on that. But at this point, if we were to just say, okay, businesses, you can decide. How many businesses do you really think would go, oh yeah, absolutely. We're just going to smoke up in here. Yeah. I, I think, I, I don't think the landscape would change that much. I think you'd Neither certainly I. see, you, I think you'd see businesses that cater to adults, mm-hmm. uh, you know, take a second look and, and maybe think that, that allowing smoking again indoors is appropriate. But for the most part, I mean, you know, even, well, if you're renting a space, uh, sure. You have to consider the, the, the property damage that, that comes along with smoke. And there's a lot of, if you've ever tried to clean the smoke smell out of a vehicle, uh, I can tell you it is not easy and you have to use some pretty heavy chemicals to get it out and a lot of elbow grease. I've done it. You're succeeded? <laughs> Don't recommend I've it. never gotten mm-hmm. the, the smell of smoke out of anything. I'll tell you, it involves chlorine dioxide gas. Okay. So, so if you have a shady place to park your car, it has to be <laughs> out of the sunlight and you can get a hold of a uh, consumer friendly version of something that creates chlorine dioxide gas. And I think you kind of have to worry. It's not something that you want to do regularly because I believe I might be getting this confused with ozone. Um, ozone shocking is another way to get rid of odors, but it erodes the plastic casings on things like electronics. So it's not something you want to do a whole lot of, um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's a way to, I used to, I used to detail vans that came back from, you know, tour. Oh, okay. Rock stars. Right so yeah, if you've ever handed the keys to a vehicle to a dad and you know that the previous client was hot boxing that vehicle with the pots, um, <laughs> with the pots, <laughs> kinda, yeah, you got a little bit of an explaining there and at least this guy was cool and it was sort of like, yeah, I know what that is, but the kids don't. So we're fine. Um, this vehicle was parked somewhere around a, a, a skunk burrow or something, you know, uh, Wiz Khalifa had it. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, I may this be the only person band. in America who's ever said to 
Wiz Khalifa, hey man, next time, could you just crack a window? Um, <laughs> so anyway. Uh, it's like, that's defeating the whole purpose, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, uh, that's that. And, um, you know, we, we were talking before we started recording this podcast goes along with, uh, well, you know, just generally Kassaw. Uh, and so part of it is, uh, the blog, our daily heads up. Here we go. Um, so there is a, uh, a sort of a heads up for Davenport, Iowa. Um, Davenport is including, uh, is considering a uh, ban on smoking and vaping in city parks. This is an outdoor uh, ban. Uh, first of all, the, the science behind people exposed to cigarette smoke outdoors and the, the harm that that could present for people uh, is overblown. If you're outside, that's that smoke, all of the, the particles and everything involved in that is so diluted with fresh air. Uh, you're just smelling things. You're not, you're not going to get cancer or lung damage from that. Um, certainly if you're standing right next to somebody and they're constantly blowing smoke in your face, you should be concerned about it. But just being downwind of somebody in a park, um, really it, it's you know, these laws, the folks promoting outdoor smoking or vaping bans um, admitted many, many years ago that this was less about uh, protecting people and more about forcing people who smoke to change their behavior. Uh, so it, it sounds altruistic and honorable to say that we're, we're doing this to protect people, but really it's just blunt force behavior change. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's, so it's just, it's a moral crusade more than yeah. anything. It's not a, there's no real evidence here. The other thing that comes along with these, and I, I encountered this in where I live in Plattsburgh, New York, <laughs> is the fine. Um, now I haven't looked into this proposed ordinance. I just know that it's happening. Um, and, and if you live in Davenport, Iowa, uh, certainly this is an opportunity to get engaged. Even if you don't, I, 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 say, I would say this, I guess apprehensively a bit, but even if you don't believe in this, this is an opportunity to get in front of local leaders, uh, perhaps the media and talk about how vaping has helped you and talk about how keeping these products available and, and accessible for people um, is important to help folks stop smoking. Um, and part of accessibility is being able to use the products. Uh, so, you know, if, if this ordinance passes uh, and is enacted, uh, people caught vaping outdoors in a public park uh, could see a $100 fine. Now, this a hundred bucks, by the way, is not just some slap on the wrist. Um, no, for for quite a few people, that's groceries for the week. That's you know the, your gas bill, that's your electric bill, or or whatever it may be. You know, right. So when establishing fines like this, um, you know, when when the bill, when an ordinance like that was introduced here, uh, the the fine was two hundred and fifty dollars, and it. Uh, it was for anyone. There was no age limit. It was anyone using or possessing a tobacco product, any tobacco product in, in a park was subject to a $250 fine. Uh, I believe they would confiscate your stuff too. Uh, so, so if they peel up your lip and you've got a snooze pouch in, <laughs> 
yeah, I've never, I've never been on the receiving end of a lip check. Um, <laughs> and and I, I proudly put my snooze tin in my back pocket. So I get that circle. Impression. Oh, you get the circle in your jeans. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty good. And I've walked in and out of, you know, County buildings with that. Um, the, 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 the fine in on County property. So Clinton County has the same policy, but their fine is $500. So if you walk into the County courthouse, in Plattsburgh with a tobacco product in your pocket, you could be fined $500. Um, of course, the, the, the real important thing here is that these types of laws are not uh, enforced equally for all people. And, uh, you know, black and brown people, poor people, they're the ones that are most likely going to get a ticket for something like this. And they're the ones that are going to have a hard time paying a fine that can lead to further charges. Um, so there's just no, there's absolutely no justification for getting somebody jammed up in the system because they smoked a cigarette or vaped in a park. Uh, they weren't harming anybody. And uh, it, it's, it's just, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. And there's no way to dress this up as a public health bill. Uh, this is simply just coercively making people change the way they behave this is a classist moral crusade to force people to change their behavior yeah um and typically you know i think cops know better sometimes <laughs> with stuff like this um these are status i would, I would wholeheartedly <laughs> just love to agree with you there yeah i think well, sometimes, I sure. sometimes yeah, in there sometimes. i mean i i, I don't want to paint all law enforcement with the broad brush um, it, but it is, it is, it is, it is, it is a policy that is ripe for abuse. Um, and, you know, uh, the, but the other side of the coin here is that in some places where laws like this have been enacted, it's rarely enforced. It's not something that, that law enforcement want to take on. Uh, you know, this, if it's a public health bill, then let the public health department deal with it. Uh, find a better strategy is what organizations like us are coming up with. Uh, and that includes promoting low-risk, smoke-free alternatives. So um, if you live in Davenport, Iowa, be on the lookout for that. <laughs> so what else, what else do we got here in this uh, this fancy heads up? If you guys aren't checking the CASA blog, it is updated regularly um, with loads of good stuff. One of the things that I found really interesting in this in this recent blog was the um, there's some some new technology kind of being looked at for vapor products. Um, I believe this is in the UK, I believe. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, University of East Anglia. Um, they're they just launched an observational study um, to kind of use some AI, some technology to track people's uh, use patterns. And they're, it's kind of like a, an advanced puff counter, if you will. Um, monitoring uh, the device to see the duration of users' vapes, uh, the time between each drag, the power per puff. Um, and then that data is going to create like a personalized profile of each person's vaping patterns. And the idea is that this technology can be integrated to help people um, quit. Uh, one of the things they talk about, uh, they, they note that dual use of e-cigs and tobacco is common. Uh, they say in this article, I don't know how exactly accurate this um, 
percentages, but they say in the U.S. an estimated 68% of vapors also smoke traditional cigarettes. Uh, so dual use um, there. And the idea is that maybe this, this technology can kind of help people um, either fully transition or actually completely stop the use of nicotine altogether. Um, what do you think about something like this? Well, the first thing I want to do is contextualize that number that you threw out with 68% of people in the United States continuing to smoke while using vapor products. Um, you know, if, if, if the purpose of this technology is to uh, more efficiently or uh, just maybe with more, more increase the probability that someone will switch to uh, increase the likelihood that someone will switch to a smoke-free product, um, I, I, I think that's great. Uh, but I think there are things that can be done immediately that don't involve yep. building an AI. Uh, and, and that is the campaigning against vapor products and all new nicotine products needs to, I, I think, I would love for it to stop, but they need to take a different tack for sure. Um, you know, one of the reasons I, I think why folks are reluctant to completely switch to vapor products is because we're bombarded by all kinds of conflicting messages about risk. Um, you know, it, it's the headlines coming out make it sound like there's there's the, a level of sorcery or magic involved here. Um, quitting smoking, uh, quitting drugs, changing a behavior, any of that stuff does not happen by consulting with your neighborhood genie in a bottle. It's it takes some work and it it's best to go into those experiences, I think, prepared for what you're gonna go through. Um, but just telling people that, oh, vaping, you're just gonna be a dual user or, oh, vaping, you're gonna turn into a smoker. Uh, though that's not helpful. And it yeah. tends to sort of determine the outcome. Uh, if you go into to trying to switch to vaping with all of that negative messaging coming at you, then your chances of success are, are, are going down. Uh, so yeah, you're I, disheartened at like step one. Yeah. So I, you know, it, it's, it's better, I think, and there's been some conversation about this over the years. It's probably better for people if the establishment looks at dual use as a transitory phase. And, you know, according to the data, that's, that's essentially what it, what it is. Uh, folks are sort of, uh, experimenting with vaping instead of smoking. They're, they're looking to see whether or not they're going to be able to replace their cigarettes one-to-one. -one. Uh, and some of those people will get to a point where maybe instead of smoking a pack, they're just smoking one or two cigarettes a day. That's, that to me, that's progress. That's, that's good for them. They are setting themselves up. They're working towards a place where they're probably not going to actually want that cigarette. And, and that's something that takes time. I, I'm one of the lucky ones. I quit by accident over the course of like three or four days. Uh, and, and it was yeah. really, it was only extended because I had to wait for my, my starter kit to arrive in the mail. Um, other people, they kind of like the vaping and maybe it doesn't give them the same, uh, you know, that one-to-one -one quote unquote satisfaction that they get from smoking a cigarette. Um, and this is where products like Juul uh, and other, you know, nicotine salt liquids out there 
uh, ha have been able to, to, I think, more quickly bring people completely over to vaping uh, and, 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 and replace that cigarette experience um, very effectively. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I, I think, you know, the narrative has to be more in the way of supporting people to transition all the way to smoke-free products rather than talking about dual use as, as if it's some sort of, uh, you know, witchcraft. <laughs> I just... Yeah, like you're 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 destined to only get halfway there. Yeah. It's kind of it kind of breeds the uh, why bother mentality that, yeah. you know, as opposed to, I don't know, putting it out there. How many people have successfully quit and like giving people optimism as opposed to like, well, you're going to make it halfway and then you're just a dual user. Yeah. You know, you know useful tips and tricks go a long way, especially in vaping. Uh, a lot of us had to go on e-cigarette forum to get them. Uh, but certainly, you know, we've come far enough where I think there should be uh, actual, you know, public announcements, you know, like we see things from the ad council or we see things from uh, other organizations, instead of seeing campaign for tobacco free kids, doing all kinds of goofy stuff on our TV or on the internet, on YouTube, uh, those messages should really be like, hey, you can do this. You can switch to vaping. You can switch to another smoke free product um, and, 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 and not have to suffer all of the, 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 the failure that comes with some of the other products that you've tried. Um, try and try again. And, and FDA, actually, I, I think, I can't remember if it was FDA um, or another organization, but the, the campaign a couple of years ago was Every Try Counts. Uh, the, now, the campaign did not specifically include vapor products or snus or nicotine pouches, but to, to me, yeah, Every Try Counts, even if it's with something that's just considered a tobacco product, uh, if it's if it's smoke free and you're trying to switch to that, then then that counts and and people deserve to hear that. Um, yeah, I agree. So yeah, I, I I know we're we're going really long here, but uh, <laughs> moving moving along with the discussion, um, you know, as we were talking about before we started recording was, um, you know, I, I I think this is good. I, I know that there are people there's there there is a, a customer base out there for this. Folks want to monitor their uses, they, their, their usage. Um, they need these metrics in order to, to make decisions. Uh, and, and if this is something that might be automatically changing things for them, uh, I think a lot of people would really sign up for that. There are plenty of people out there who just, they don't want to have to, they don't want to feel uh, tied to nicotine in any way. And so I, I think if this is a tool that helps them do that, it's great. The only concern I think I would bring up is, well, not the only concern, but uh, one of the concerns I bring up is it's great for this to be available as, a, as an option, but it, it doesn't, it, it should not be the standard. Um, yeah. There was a lot of talk in, a, in Europe and, and sometimes we have this discussion here in the United States, but um, when vapor products were, were going to be included as simply only as medicines, uh, in in the in in Europe, um, this there's a lot of uh, pushback on that because taking away all of the interesting and fun stuff about vapor products is taking away a lot of the reason why these products are effective. Um, vaping is so effective because people choose to use these products. Yeah. But I, I'm in agree. I'm in agreement with you a hundred percent. When I look at something like this, this AI kind of advanced puff counter technology that's going to 
I don't the the what this actually is is pretty limited in information in in the article here, um, which is in the Casa Heads Up for everybody or in the in the blog, the latest blog. Um, but when I look at this, I see this as another tool in the toolbox for people that want to utilize it. Um, from a personal standpoint, this isn't something that I would use. I enjoy nicotine. I like what it does for me. It benefits me. Um, but I know plenty of people who use puff counters, who have used puff counters along the way while they lower their nicotine and things like that to get down to zero and to ultimately quit. And if that's your goal, if, if that's what you're, you're seeking to do, then something like this could be really beneficial for someone. I'm all for innovation. Um, I'm all for, for things that help people stop smoking and make transitions easier and puts maybe that additional information in somebody's hands. So if you can track your usage and things like that more effectively, that maybe that gives you reassurance on your quit journey. Um, so I'm all for this technology to exist, but I agree with you, this should just remain an optional thing. This should be another tool in the toolbox kind of thing. Um, that's how I see this. I think it's really cool for people that want to go down that path to utilize vaping, to ultimately quit nicotine uh, or inhaling things altogether. Um, this could be really beneficial and could be really useful. I would just hate to see this become the standard. Um, yeah. You know, that, the, the, the idea of like, it's almost forceful at that point. Uh, and, and like you said, this technology works so well because it's an option, because people choose to do it. Uh, you know, you, you retain your, your freedom in this, in this journey that you're on, uh, as opposed to being coerced or forced uh, to, to do things that maybe you're not ready to do or uncomfortable with or whatnot. Um, yeah. That, that's that's my <clears throat> my hot take on it is I think it's great. I think it's another tool in the toolbox, all for the innovation, as long as this simply remains an optional thing. Yeah. 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 Cool stuff, though. I love innovation. We, we still, I, you look back at the, you know, the, the last 10 years of innovation in e-cigs and, and some people go, there's nothing left to innovate. What are you innovating? And then something like this comes up and I'm like, well, right there, there you go. That's innovation. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, so. I welcome it. Well, I got some some more bills to talk about. <laughs> um, this is a bunch of this stuff. This is stuff that we don't have engagements up for just yet, uh, but worth putting on people's radar. Um, Texas is looking at, I think, about a half dozen bills. Um, the one that I have a star next to uh, is going to be SB 216, which has a companion bill which is HB 1255. Don't get worried about the numbers unless you're writing them down to track the bills. Um, this is a tax. This is gonna be Texas's attempt at tax parity with cigarettes. Um, and I, I'm not going, well, maybe I should, because it's fun to watch me screw up. Um, explain the math. <laughs> um, I'll try to explain the math here about how Texas is proposing to do this because it's it's significant because tax parity has always been this thing, one of those things that states and now the federal government are are grappling with and really getting wrong. Um, would they get it wrong from Jump Street because tax parity with cigarettes doesn't make any sense at all? Um, if you know we we are we've always been advocating in support of regulation should be proportional to risk. Um, and that means at the end of the day, yes, 
there is some support there so for accepting a small tax on, on these new products, uh, mainly from the industry um, because they're in the position to bargain. Um, but from our perspective, no. It, but at the end of the day, if that's what happened, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but no extra taxes on these products. So um, Texas doesn't believe in that, at least uh, several lawmakers there don't believe in this, uh, and they want uh, the tax to be the same. Uh, so how you come, how you arrive at this number is uh, the department will have to determine the uh, estimated mean price of 1,000 cigarettes. And this is, this is consistent with the federal statute. So. Uh, the federal tax on cigarettes, I believe, is $105 and some change per 1,000 cigarettes. Uh, and so basically you take the, uh, whatever the, you're trying to come up with the price of cigarettes in Texas, the mean price of a pack of cigarettes in Texas, or 1,000 cigarettes in Texas uh, with all of the state taxes removed, just the federal excise tax and the, the you know, what the wholesale cost of a pack of cigarettes a thousand cigarettes is. Um, and then you uh, divide the state excise tax by the estimated mean price of a thousand cigarettes, convert the amount to a percentage, round it down to the nearest quarter of a percent, and publish it in the Texas Register. That's how you find the tax. So if anybody's out there willing to do the math on that, uh, I didn't have time before we started putting this together. Um, that's, that's how you'll find what the tax is on um, vapor products. I think I'm pretty sure you can go to the Texas Register uh, and look that up and see what the tax on cigarettes is right now. That's the tax that will be uh, applied to vapor products. No actual formula of, you know, what, uh, how does a 30 milliliter bottle compare to a thousand cigarettes? Does that even make sense? Um, it, it very well could be that that this is a much higher tax than what we see on cigarettes. Um, certainly the attempts to do tax parity at the federal level does that. It taxes the nicotine content um, of, of vapor products, but the tax on cigarettes is, is on nicotine yield. It, it's, it's really weird it, and it, it, it actually doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any it sense. Was it ended up being part of Frank Pallone's bill was this attempt at tax parity. So um, I bring that up for Texas because, well, there's six bills in Texas, uh, but also because we expect to see this debate come back up in Congress this year. Um, it shouldn't. They've got bigger fish to fry, um, but uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, so that, that's the big one. The other bills, if anybody's out there keeping score, uh, are HB 211. Uh, again, this is another tax. This would be a five cent per milliliter retail tax. Uh, and this would also be applied to any products that you uh, had delivered to your house. And, and, you know, it's a use and storage tax. So if you didn't buy it from a Texas retailer, you're still responsible for paying the taxes uh, at five cents per milliliter. Um, the other bills are- So on a 60 mil bottle, that's, what is that? Like an additional $3? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other bill, SB 440, uh, this is a flavor ban, including menthol. Um, and then I just have check marks back to, next to these and I don't have any descriptions, but 
SB 284 and SB 1523. Um, all of that is either taxes or flavor ban. Um, but it's the, the ones with the companion bill I'm most concerned about. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, it's taxes. It's a ridiculous tax. Uh, and so we're, we're keeping our eye on that. Those were just recently introduced. So there's nothing, nothing doing just yet. Um, but putting that on folks in Texas radar. Um, yeah. New Mexico, this is an interesting one since we're talking about taxes. Uh, New Mexico is looking at a cigarette tax, but what this bill does is it would reduce the tax by half for any product that gets a modified risk order through the FDA. Um, folks who are uh, following what's happening in heat not burn and in the very low nicotine cigarette discussion, uh, this, is, this is interesting. Uh, the thing about heat not burn is um, the heat sticks, uh, that's what Philip Morris calls them for their product, but I, that makes sense that they would just be heat sticks generically. Um, those look like sort of like half, they're like half the size of a regular. They remind me of like the, like the 72s. You ever have like a Marlboro 72? Probably. I don't know. Yeah. They're like little, it's like a third less than a King size cigarette. Okay, I probably it's never like a little 72. <laughs> Uh, and that's what the heat sticks remind me of. Um, I had a couple of friends that only smoked 72s years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> and I was always like, I would get done with it and it, I would just need another. <laughs> it's, it's basically, you can't smoke it like a cigarette. It's packed too tightly. It's a tight, it's a plug of tobacco, basically. Uh, and it, they really are designed only for the that application, the heat not burn application. Um, but because they are a, a roll of tobacco in, you know, paper with a filter and all of that, uh, they meet the definition of a cigarette in about, I think, a third of U.S. states. So uh, in many places, a product like Icos uh, is sort of already going to be subject to the state's cigarette tax. Well, Icos is a reduced risk product. Uh, it is less harmful than smoking. And so, again, along the, this theme of regulation should be proportionate to risk, companies are lobbying states to reduce the tax by half. This is what uh, I have come to understand is called the harm reduction language. Um, so uh, this, this, if passed, would allow uh, anyone buying ICOS to pay a reduced tax on those products in New Mexico. So this is a this is a good thing. I, I believe it's a good thing. Uh, yeah. There's there's some debate. Uh, you know, just from strictly from a policy perspective and and moving policy in a in a positive way. Uh, yes, it's good. But something to consider is all of these smaller vapor manufacturers who are struggling to afford going through the pre market tobacco application. Uh, what kind of money are they going to have left over for modified risk? And, you know, the advice or uh, not really advice, but uh, a suggestion is for companies to submit their modified risk applications at the same time they submit their PMTA. So if you can afford to do both of those at the same time, like Altria did for ICOS, then by all means, go for it. But it, it it for the smaller manufacturers it's a bit of I would say I don't know very many small manufacturers that have Altria money. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a barrier, and and the, the arguments that I've heard are 
once again, you know, even though this is this is a positive direction for policy to go, uh, it is giving the incumbent tobacco companies the advantage. They're the ones that are going to be able to go through this process first. And sometimes I, I forget that there's a saying out there, you know, about sometimes first being first is better than being right. Um, and so uh, it, it's it, the incumbent tobacco companies get the jump on any of the competitors who are selling vapor products uh, because they can afford to go through the process. And that is inherently unfair. Uh, we know vapor products are less harmful than smoking. And uh, the public deserves to know that in the marketing materials of these companies uh, and even messages on individual packs or, or individual bottles. Um, so uh, as much as I think this is appropriate for, in particular for heat not burn um, and any product that gets a modified risk order, um, the process to get that modified risk order needs to be more accessible to smaller companies who have yeah. been kicking tobacco companies in the teeth for years. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, in keeping with the tax theme here, um, Oklahoma is looking at a 44% wholesale tax. Um, for those of you who, Ouch. anybody who's splitting hairs over whether or not that sounds bad or not, um, uh, Pennsylvania was the state that enacted a 40% wholesale tax, wiped out like a third of the industry. Um, of course, it was the way that it was rolled out. There's a floor tax involved, uh, and that put a lot of people in very challenging positions and, and put a lot of pressure on them to, you know, make a decision. Uh, and a lot of them, a lot of them closed. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. A floor tax is a tax on everything that you currently have like on your shelves, right? Right. The way that this is done and, and the reason that, that it's done this way is really just a, it's just a, a clean cut starting point for the new tax. Right. So um, usually when a tobacco tax is raised, anybody selling tobacco products will on a specified date have to take inventory and then the tax is assessed on your inventory, what you everything, what you've got everywhere. Um, and, uh, in we've seen recently, I've seen a couple of bills um, rather than saying, you know, you've got 30 days to pay this enormous bill that you weren't prepared for. Um, they will give folks a, a basically a payment schedule. Um, you don't have to pay it all the next day. You can pay it in three months, six months, whatever. Uh, and generally speaking, you know, if you are working with an agency to pay something, if you're working in good faith to make that arrangement, uh, you can set up some sort of a payment plan so it doesn't have to be all at once. Um, I, I don't remember reading in here that there's a floor tax. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but right now, uh, this is HB 1054, 44% wholesale tax. Uh, and this is another one that has the language of, of uh, you know, a retailer can't absorb this extra tax to you know, protect their customers. Um, but this is in the Revenue and Taxation Subcommittee. Um, so this is just a subcommittee hearing, it's, and this is happening on Monday the 8th, which is today, uh, at 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, so it's the appropriation and Appropriations and Budget Finance Committee, Revenue and Taxation Subcommittee. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So uh, it's, also, it's also Oklahoma. I'm not overly concerned. Uh, Oklahoma at one point was really, I, I, I thought that it was sort of the, an oasis for the vapor industry. There was a lot going on in Oklahoma. And um, Oklahoma, advocates in Oklahoma, I remember, were pretty well organized 
before the rest of the country. Um, so uh, folks in Oklahoma are, have been doing a really stellar job and uh, hopefully they can keep this tax at bay uh, as they have. With so the is this kind of one of those um, kind of, we're going to kind of hold back and let Oklahoma uh, for the most part, kind of see what they do. Probably um, I'm not Kassar really actively gets involved in any. Yeah. I mean, this you know, being a subcommittee, this is really just, this is at the beginning of the process. So Right. Um, typically, this is like the first time they talk about it. Yeah, subcommittee hearing, and then we'll go to the full committee, maybe. And then after the committee, it goes either to another committee or it goes to the floor or whatever. Um, so, right. you know, we're not, this isn't like down to the wire. This is going to be law tomorrow. There's, this is at the beginning of the process. And so we'll see what, what shakes out here. So, yeah, I think that's, um, that's pretty much the roundup for this week. Uh, the disclaimer that comes with this is, is, this is not an exhaustive list of everything that's going on in the country. Um, so by all means, do your own research and certainly tap into your state's resources on your state's website. Uh, many states uh, do enable you to uh, set up a free account, sign up for legislative tracking. You can search bills. Um, it, it's, it is not the most complicated thing in the world. State websites have some, some UI issues, um, but it's not impossible to familiarize yourself with that. Uh, and, and, and I say all of this, number one, because all of these resources are out there for free. Uh, and I actually depend on people in specific states to catch things that are going to slip through our tracking. Uh, and so uh, absolutely, anytime that you're searching around in your state and you see something pop up, um, let us know. We may not have it on our list. Uh, and, and certainly you are, it is, it is your right as a citizen to get engaged whenever you see fit. Uh, and, and, and certainly, uh, you know, use our resources. We have talking points and, and pre-written letters and stuff. You can, you can just search around on even the active calls to action to find materials, to, you know, build your messages and, 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 and say things in an effective way to your lawmakers. Um, and so with that, I think I'm done. With that. Awesome. This, I think this went really well. I think for our, our first, uh, you know, reinvigoration of the Kassab podcast. I think this went really well. I hope everybody tuning in uh, enjoyed this and is looking forward to more from Alex and I. I think this is, I think this is prime plug time. Well, find, find Kassab on social media. Uh, Twitter, we are at Kassab Media. That's C-A-S-A-A Media. Um, I believe the handle is the same on Instagram. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram, so... It is. <laughs> okay, awesome. So we're at Casa Media on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Facebook pages, we have state groups. Uh, so join your Casa state group on Facebook. Uh, we have uh, some dedicated moderators who volunteer their time to manage those sites, manage those pages, and uh, make sure that you know heads up alerts and things specific to your state are getting posted in there. Um, and also it's, you know, it's intended to be a place for people to get together and discuss the challenges we're facing. Um, I know that a lot of folks get that from, from other pages, but, um, you know, come hang out in your CASA state group and, and talk about what's going on in your state, uh, and share that, share that with your friends. So, um, so that's good. And we have our, our main CASA Facebook page. We have our main CASA, um, group, which is the, we are CASA group, um, all this, all, all of the social media sources, and then you know, join Casa. It's free, and uh, we don't spam your inbox. Um, you know, 
make sure that you're signed up for Kasasa, that you get these alerts in your email and you can take action right from there usually. Um, and I think that's gonna do it this week, Alex. Fantastic. I think we did a wonderful job. Uh, thank you everybody for tuning in and we will be back next week for more.